today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. It's not what's been done to you, it's what's been done for you. Namely, that Jesus died for you. See, the enemy's really good about getting us to focus on all of those wrongs in the past. Because in so doing, then we take our eyes off of the one who died for us. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. We all have tendencies to be self-focused. It's almost difficult to take yourself out of an equation and look at it without self-interest. But today, Pastor J.D. reminds us how important it is to not focus on merely yourself. In fact, if you put yourself out of mind, you'll finally see all that's been done for you instead of to you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. We're currently in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Our text today will be verses 21 and 22. The writer of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit is writing and says, verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, verse 22, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. So I want to talk with you today about how viewing our lives through the lens of the end of our lives can have a profound impact on how we live our lives. I know that's quite a packed way to start, but the writer of Hebrews enters two men now, a father and a son, Jacob and Joseph into what we affectionately refer to as the Hall of Faith. And it's not for the reason that one might think, very interesting, that they would be included in the Hall of Faith because of what they did by faith at the end of their lives. In other words, we're talking about Jacob and certainly Joseph here. What about their faith throughout their lives? No mention of that. What is the one thing that entered them into the hall of faith? It's what they did at the end of their lives, by faith. There's a reason for that. In the first part of Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, verse 8, King Solomon writes that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. Now, 
the question becomes one of why. And the text before us today provides the answer such that what really matters in our lives is the end of our lives. That's all that matters. And such is the case with both Jacob and his son Joseph, as we're about to see. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to share with you two truths that have the propensity to be life-changing in these last days. Again, I know that's kind of a big, bold, brash way to start, but it's true. (laughs) The fact of the matter is, there's a reason the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Hebrews to include these two verses about these two men that we have before us today. And more specifically, to include what they did by faith at the end of their lives. It would stand to reason that the end mattered more than the beginning and even everything in between. It's what they did by faith at the end of their lives. Two truths. The first one is in verse 21, and it's that of forgetting the past. So I went back into my archives when we were going through the book of Genesis, and you can find this account in Genesis 48. It's a very interesting account. Jacob is about to die, he knows it, and as is the custom to this day, by the way, in that culture, in my Arab culture, before the man dies, he always pronounces a blessing on his son, chiefly his firstborn son. That is the birthright, the blessing, the heir, if you will. Now what's interesting about it is before Jacob, who had 12 sons, right, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. That's going to come up here in a moment. He chooses to first and foremost bless Joseph. That's not his firstborn son. Now, it's not so much that he blessed them, it's how he blessed them. How he blessed these two sons of Joseph. Their names, Ephraim and Manasseh. That's going to be important here and germane to our understanding shortly. It's not just that he blessed them, even how he blessed them, but it's even why he blessed them. First of all, they're not his sons, they're his grandsons. So what's up with that? Well, The account in Genesis 48 tells us that he essentially adopts Joseph's two sons, making them his own as Reuben and Simeon, as two of the twelve tribes. So throughout Old Testament scripture, when you see references to the twelve tribes of Israel, you will read about the tribe of Ephraim, And you'll read about the tribe of Manasseh because of what Jacob did in Genesis 48. And the writer of Hebrews records for us here in chapter 11. Actually, this is also the how, such that 
he positions them. So now picture the scene. He calls Joseph, and he's old. He knows it's just a matter of time. Notice the detail the writer of Hebrews includes, that he propped himself up and had to lean. You know why, right? Remember when God broke him? (laughs) Changed his walk for the rest of his life. He walked with a limp because God had touched his side and broke him before he could bless him. The point being is that the breaking always precedes the blessing. So he props himself up, finds the strength, calls his son Joseph, says, bring your sons, I'm going to bless them. And so Joseph brings Manasseh and Ephraim, and he places them strategically, specifically, positionally, where the oldest is first, where Jacob's right hand is, and the youngest is next, where Jacob's left hand is. Now, very interesting detail again in Genesis 48. Like his dad, Isaac, Jacob too, had lost his eyesight. Makes you wonder if it was a genetic thing. So he can't see. He's on a cane. He's propping himself up. And so Joseph thinks that, well, oh, he's putting his right hand on Ephraim. It should be on Manasseh. And he actually says, hey, dad, no, no, I know you can't see now. Let me, let me, you know. And his dad stops him and says, no, 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 no. I, I, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but Ephraim's the second born. He's the younger. Manasseh is the firstborn. He's the one that you bless first as the firstborn. And Jacob says to Joseph, no, move your hands, son. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I'm going to bless Manasseh too, but the younger Ephraim will be the greater. Does that sound familiar? Uh, If that sounds like when Isaac blessed Jacob as the younger over Esau as the firstborn, that's because it is. (laughs) It's exactly what happened. And you'll find this pattern throughout Scripture where the younger is greater than the older. Ask Moses. Moses was the younger brother of Aaron. The younger was the greater. Then there's a whole lot of typology in that. I'm not going to take the time to get into that. It's not necessary for today. But what I want to draw your attention to is the why behind the what Jacob does here. So we have a question we have to answer. Why is it that Jacob knowingly, much to Joseph's displeasure, by the way, places his right hand to bless Ephraim as the younger instead of the firstborn Manasseh. Well, you'll forgive me for reading too much into this, but I am personally of the belief that one of the main reasons for this is because the name is the nature. Stay with me. The name Ephraim means to be fruitful, and the name Manasseh, actually in Hebrew, it's the same word in my Arabic language, means to forget. 
And they both go together in that order. In other words, how to be fruitful is to be forgetful of all that's happened in your life. And we need look no further than to Joseph and all that had happened to him, which is why he was so fruitful, because he was so forgetful of all that was done to him. One of the things I'm learning in my walk with the Lord concerning the past and wrongs done, it's not what's been done to you, it's what's been done for you. Namely, that Jesus died for you. See, the enemy's really good about getting us to focus on all of those wrongs in the past. Because in so doing, then we take our eyes off of the one who died for us. Yeah, but you know what they did to me? Manasseh, forget it. You want to be fruitful? Be forgetful. Forget about it. Because if you don't, and we're going to see this as well, but if you don't, then here's what happens. A root of bitterness begins to take root and germinate and sprout. And it'll bear fruit, but it will be a bitter fruit. Because for the rest of your life, you're always thinking about holding against those who have wronged you in the past. It was Oswald Chambers who said, and I'll never forget this, it stuck with me throughout the years when I first read it. It is so apropos. He says, it's not, have you been wronged? It's, have you wronged? Let me say the same thing in a different way. Because see, we're all, how could you do that? You wronged me. Oh, really? Okay, you want to focus on that? Yeah! I'm not going to talk about marriage. I asked the Lord about it today, earlier. He said, this would be a great teaching on marriage. I'm going to leave it right there between you and the Holy Spirit. Because it's always like, me, what about you? You wronged me. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, which is interesting in and of itself, don't you see that? Isn't it interesting that the disciples would ask Jesus to teach them how to pray? Have you ever asked yourself why? Like if I were there, I would have said, Jesus, teach me how to preach. But they didn't ask that. They asked Him to teach them how to pray. Why? Because they watched Jesus pray. And they would see Him get away and pray. And they would witness firsthand the power that came from prayer. And it was like the disciples were saying, hey, I want, I want me some of that. Teach me how to do that. So he teaches them. He says, okay, you're praying this way. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We say it, it it's sad because 
we've turned it into a ritual, you know, formality, and the words mean nothing. They have no impact, sadly. But there's that one part. You know which one I'm talking about, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. You know, in Matthew 5, it's a little more involved, because Jesus says, I mean, this rises to the level of Jesus saying, don't even bring your gifts to the altar until you've settled the wrong and made it right. You got a brother that's got something against you or that has wronged you? You need to go them now, quickly. Leave everything here. Don't even bother. Go settle it now, or it will cost you to the uttermost farthing. You know what that means, right? It'll cost you everything. Listen, carrying a wrong and unforgiveness will eat your lunch and dinner too. And while we're at it, breakfast as well. (laughs) It'll destroy your life. You let that root of bitterness take root, it will defile you, it will destroy you, it will eat at you. And if that weren't bad enough, the person that you're holding that against that has wronged you has no clue. And here you are going out of your mind. You know how it is. You think about in your mind things that, you know, could happen to them. Don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's what it does. That's what bitterness does. Think of it like this. Had Joseph not forgiven and forgotten, now nah, we better talk about this. You know how it is. We'll do this. We'll say, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget what you did. Oh, wow. It just kind of like negates the whole thing. No, forgive and forget. Manasseh. You want to be fruitful? Think about the Joseph we would be reading about had he not forgiven and forgotten Manasseh. Do you think you'd be reading about a Joseph that was as fruitful and blessed and prosperous as he was? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So when Jacob pronounces this blessing, and by the way, just parenthetically let me say, in America, in the West, we really miss this. And it's, it's just a cultural dynamic. But you have to understand, in the Middle East, this is huge. This is everything. I mean, everything stops for that blessing. Before my dad died, unbeknownst to me, the Lord knew it, and that's why the Lord had it happen and go down this way. We were on our way to our Saturday night prayer meeting, and I wanted to see my dad in the hospital. We were told that he was going to be released the next day. He'd had a heart attack. We were told mild. So I stopped in the hospital. We prayed. And uh, as I'm turning around to leave, he says to me, my son, I am so proud of you. I love you. The Lord bless you. I did not know at that time that my dad knew he was going and that he was pronouncing his blessing upon me as his firstborn son. And those would be the last words that I would ever hear from my dad. In the Middle East, it means everything. And I think we lose that here. 
You know, we get into Genesis 48, we just kind of read through it, and even chapter 49, which is a very prophetic chapter, as he blesses the and pronounces these prophecies on all of his sons. But for the Father to bless the Son, even like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago with Esau and Jacob, why do you think it is that Esau was just devastated when he realized that Jacob had got the blessing? This is everything. This means everything. I'm going somewhere with this. Just again, stay with me, and I appreciate your patience with me. God wants to bless you. God is looking for a way to bless you. He wants to bless you. And He wants you to be fruitful. But there are certain things that can become hindrances to the blessing of God, and God blessing us and making us fruitful. And this is the biggie. This is the one. This is the one. And it's not like God can't, He won't, because it's inconsistent with who He is. You go settle that account, and then you come back, and then I can bless you. Then you can bring your gifts to the altar, make your offerings, and I'll bless you. But I can't bless you until you make that right. Yeah, but do you know what they did to me? Yeah, I saw the, I was there. I'm God. I, I'm everywhere. I know everything. I saw exactly what, in fact, I know more about what happened than you do, just so you know. Yeah, but God is not fair. Fair? You want to talk about fair? You know, when our boys were young, we, we taught them a song. It, it was to instill a lesson. You want to teach a lesson, put it to song, and you'll learn it. So the song went like this. The world, it doesn't belong to you, and life, it isn't fair. Dun-dum, bum, bum. The world doesn't revolve around you, and life, it isn't fair. Everybody now. <laughs> and they never forgot it. <laughs> Fact explains a lot as to... <laughs> why they are the way they are now. But that's true, isn't it? Does the world revolve around you? Is life fair? No, it's not. We live in a fallen world. And yeah, we've been wrong, but so too, truth be made known, we have wronged more. Forget the past. Take your eyes off of them. Take your eyes off of that. Or as my wife always reminds me, build a bridge and get over it, which is uh, good advice. (laughs) Biblical too. Well, this ties into the second one in verse 22. And in concert with forgetting the past, it's also knowing the future. Now let me explain this. Because... The first response is something along the lines of, well, we can't know the future. And we have those clever cliches, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And that's true. But wait a minute. We do know the future. You know why we know the future? (laughs) God has told us so we can know what the future holds for us. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.